0: hello i am oh i got something in the background there hello i'm that weems guy and we're here for yet another episode and joining me tonight is mr randy harris randy how you doing tonight
1: i'm good how are you
0: i am rolling to quote the uh the balcoma character so, so we are going to discuss in part tonight running small guns such as the Glock 27 or 26. And the reason we're going to talk to you about that is because you just won an IDPA state championship in the backup gun division. So tell us all about that.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's true. I just won the uh, Tennessee State Championship in the backup gun division uh, at the beginning of this month and uh, kind of in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. Uh, I've missed that match the last three or four years because I was either training with Tom Givens or off doing vacation or something that every year, the weekend that the match is there. I was like, it's in my town. I'm not even in town for it. So I finally got to it this year. And, you know, fortunately, I shot well enough to take home Smart hardware.
0: All right. Well, that qualifies you to speak on the topic tonight because you are a champion in this division. Go ahead and tell the rest of the audience, the rest of the stuff about you.
1: Um, Just real quick. I started teaching handgun carry permit classes uh, back in about 1999 uh, from 2005 to 2020. Uh, I taught for Gabe Suarez of Suarez international. Uh, I'm a range master certified master instructor, um let's see what else uh got a turbo pin from gabe white's class an advanced ranking from the rogers shooting school um i make a pretty good steak uh you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else we're what else we're
0: looking for here uh just training stuff or anything else you want the audience to know no I mean, um, you make a good steak is a, is a good thing to know
1: there you go Makes make a pretty good old-fashioned too uh-huh. um let's see uh trained extensively with craig douglas um, Tom Givens, uh, of course, you know, Suarez International. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, Masada Ube, Um Kind of all over the place. You can check out my website and see kind of my background and why I think some of the things I
0: think. And the so webpage that, will be harriscombatives.com.
1: Yeah, Harriscombative.com. There you go. Um,
0: now, you mentioned that you have worked with Suarez International, and I know the reaction that that gets in certain corners in the gun web, um, you are selling your own ship now. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. So yeah, um, we did fifteen years together, and you know, everybody at some point, it's time to move on. Um, you know, again, no hard feelings or anything, and you know, just it's time to move on.
0: Yep. I uh, will just to interject here that I know some of the reactions to the Suarez name that are out there. I have had one interaction with Mr. Suarez. It was 23 years ago or so. That was when I first found the gun web. I saw him with a picture of a lever action. I'm a lever action guy. Yeah. I sent him some questions. He responded very politely and gave me some valuable information. So for that, thank you, Mr. Suarez, if you hear that. And that's all I have to say on the subject. Now, yep. one time I asked him something, he helped. Yep. So, so there we go. That's how I choose to think about it. There you All go.
2: Right.
0: Now you mentioned that you got uh, a turbo pin and you got the advanced Ranger from Rogers. What gun were you shooting in this?
1: Uh, both of those were a Glock thirty-four, um, and if I remember correctly, probably about that time I was still carrying that um, as my you know everyday carry gun. Yes, some people carry real full size guns every day and not in a duty rig.
0: So I am very jealous of your presentation technique. I have never been able to successfully master the single hand clearing of the garment when carrying strong side, close front garment. And you do it and I just get, why can't I do that? And I always tend to get hung up on something. I'll go back and I'll watch that video I have uh, from your turbo pin run. It's like, how does he do that? And I run, try it and it still doesn't work
1: uh i don't know we'll get together on the range sometime and i'll uh i'll get you over the hump on that so here we go gotta keep in mind though i was a little kid who every night i'd come home and watch Gunsmoke with mom and dad uh when it was on like you know 7 p.m in the late 70s when people are gonna figure out how old i really am um and you know so i'm practicing my quick draw all the time as a little kid so you know i've got a lot of reps in so
0: yeah every afternoon channel 13 out of macon show Gunsmoke. Mm-hmm. There you go. I remember that. It would yep. be Gunsmoke, and then it would be followed by uh, Andy Griffith show.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. All right. Now, when we were texting back and forth the other day discussing the show topic, you mentioned that you carried the Glock 33 and the Glock 27 extensively back during that era, era that we often refer to as the assault weapons ban. Uh, the, for those that are unaware, there was a law in place from 1994 to 2004 on the federal level that uh, limited the sale of new magazines to 10 rounds in capacity and it had a bunch of other stuff well cosmetic features with rifles that made no sense um but there was an unintended unintended consequence of that law is prior to that if you wanted to carry a semi-automatic excuse me a semi-automatic pistol your choices were you know 1911 Browning high power, and then the duty-sized guns like a Glock 17, um, third-generation Smiths, full-size SIGs, et cetera. Well, in 1994, this law gets passed, and all of a sudden now the manufacturer said, well, if we're limited 10-round capacity, we're going to chop off the grips, you know, shorten the grip frame, and make the gun easier to conceal. And that unintended consequence by the government led to the creation of the subcompact power arm. And I'll throw it to you for comment.
1: Yeah, it's it really created a new, I guess, a genre of firearm there. Um, prior to 94, uh, if you're carrying a, what will, we can even call it a pocket pistol, backup gun, whatever we want to refer to it as, uh, you're looking at a J-frame or maybe like a Smith 3913. You know, those were super popular back then. <laughs> Um, suddenly the law passes and now, you know, yeah, you may have Glock 17, but if you're buying it new, it's coming with 10 round magazines. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, Glock 19 or especially like 23 at that point, that makes a little more sense if you've only got 10 rounds or at least they're 10, 40 caliber rounds. Um, so then in 96, Glock comes out, well, late 96, Glock comes out with a 26 and 27, and you've got 10 rounds in the nine millimeter and a gun that's about the same size overall as a J frame is. Um, and then in the 40 Cal, uh, you've got a nine round magazine with one in the chamber. And then pretty quickly we figured out that the old style Glock plus twos that would add two rounds of nine millimeter to their magazines only add one round of 40. So you put that on there, you get a little pinky extension and you've now got a 10 round mag. So 11 rounds of 40 and a gun that size, you know, that's made a lot of sense to a lot of
0: people. Yep, And it was fully compliant with the law at the time.
1: Yep so you know no matter where you went like like right now if i were to go to i don't know for some reason to massachusetts or something you know i'm not carrying the gun i normally carry i'm gonna have to find something that's got you know reliable 10 round magazines um so whereas back then you know if if you're if you didn't have the high cap magazines already, um, you're going to be paying like $80 for a Glock mag, you mm-hmm. know, for a standard capacity Glock magazine. And so uh, those guns came along at the right time um, to be very, very popular. And they're still popular now. I mean, yeah. there would be no, I honestly don't think there would be a uh, MP Shield, uh, especially like the Shield Plus um, and like the Hellcat, you know, that kind of stuff, if we hadn't had the assault weapon ban back in the day. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the very first fire handgun that I ever bought was a Glock twenty-seven, and uh, I was in the police academy, and I knew that the agency was issuing forty, and so I went mm-hmm. looking for a small gun and and forty, thinking I would carry it as a backup gun, not knowing that the agency had a policy that uh, didn't allow backup guns. Um, mm-hmm. So I buy this Glock twenty-seven, and it's what I carried off duty until the the. you know excuse me the assault weapon's been sunsetted in 2004 and i could get 15 round mags for a glock 19 right and um so i carried that glock 27 for a long time and i carried it just as you described i had the pierce uh plus two on there which added one round to 40 Mm -hmm. which gave me a 10 plus one gun and it was passable for the skill level i had at at the time um I found myself not carrying it ever. And I had a cash in a GSSL certificate at some point in time on was 26. And I found myself never carrying them once the assault weapons ban sunsetted because mm-hmm. I was carrying the 19 all the time. And I ended up trading both right. of the 26 and 27 away. Um, it's funny that the 27, um, it Good friend of mine had a twenty-seven that he had some sentimental attachment to, and he had a friend, he had a, another friend that was trying to buy it from him, or trade him something for it, and so I gave him my twenty-seven to trade to that guy, and he gave me something else back, in, in, mm-hmm. in and I think another twenty-seven that he had no sentimental value in, and I sold that. All right. Okay. How how things work in the gun world. Yep. Yep. Uh, um. I remember, speaking of the assault weapons ban, um, the day the law sunsetted. And folks, Mm -hmm. that is called a sunset provision. That's why I'm calling it. That's when a law is passed with an expiration date that the law ceases to be a law unless the legislative body renews it. Political science professor coming out at me. uh, Thomas Jefferson was actually in favor of sunset provisions. He even thought constitutions should have a sunset provision because no generation should govern another. Yeah. um I and, and people local, wonder
1: why when i talk about lee i say this dude's really smart and he's <laughs> one of these guys that's so smart he doesn't feel like he has to prove it this is what i'm talking about
0: so well, well thank you um one of the local gun stores had freedom day and you should have seen the drove of people going to the gun store mm-hmm. that day we probably were in of the, one of those gun stores yeah. that days as well and i remember buying a bunch of uh yeah, you know, Glock 19 magazines that were stamped with the yep. the LE only because they had to have that yep. stamp on there if there were more than ten rounds capacity. And by the way, that gun shop is owned by now Ninth District House of Representative Clyde, uh, Andrew Clyde hmm, in, in the cool. United States Congress. Uh, yeah, he's finishing up his first term, and I think he's running for reelection. Okay, so well, that's cool. Anything from that era that. uh stands out to you that we should talk about before we move on?
1: Um, I don't know. I'll just talk for just a second about um, uh, I generally carry the 20, 27 mostly because, you know, back then reading the gun magazines and all, Oh, 40 has got to be better than nine. So it's got bigger numbers. Um, uh, so, you know, that was kind of gravitated towards that. Uh, when 357 SIG came out at a I uh, I guess you'd say a friend slash mentor slash, um, this guy had actually been in a couple of civilian gunfights and managed to stay out of jail, um, so anyways, he was a big fan of 357 SIG when it first came out. And so I got a, a 357 SIG, a Glock 33, started carrying that, uh, just, Funny enough, the first time I took that to the range, I was shooting on an indoor range and, you know, it wasn't anything to shoot, you know, a couple hundred, maybe two, three hundred rounds with the 40 cal um, because, you know, mostly it's going to be 180 grain subsonic stuff. Uh, I shot about a hundred rounds of that 357 SIG the first day and had a splitting headache because of the (laughs) muzzle blast from it. Um, I would go shoot that gun on, we did an indoor IDPA match uh, on like Wednesday night. Uh, When I would bring that gun and shoot it, everybody except the guy running the timer we go outside of the range because it was just so loud in there. So it's just kind of a funny thing that, you know, now everybody carries nine millimeter and, you know, nobody thinks, ah, this isn't, doesn't work anymore or or doesn't work as well as something else does. And nobody really gives it a second thought, but back then we were like, Oh, we got to have a better bullet, you know, because that's what we're reading in the gun magazines and not really applying the science to it. So
0: yeah, I've often wondered what the 357 SIG would have done in a sub down platform.
1: Yeah, that would uh would be pretty interesting, like in a, you know, like a UMP or MP5. So yeah. That would be pretty cool.
0: Or, you know, if SIG had come out with something along those yeah. lines, you know, what it would have done in comparison to the market with the 40. Right. And, and, and folks, we're not argue, you know, arguing for bringing back 357 SIG or 40. We're talking about what it was like during this era. Right. You know. Because the 37 the SIG just never had a chance to compete head to head with the 40, it was doomed from right. the start. Um, but I just used to think about back then was like, what if SIG were to do sub gun in this? Because back then, MMP or MP5 or what's the sub gun? MP5, uh, were yeah. a big deal, those were still pretty common amongst uh SWATs, SRTs, et cetera, yeah. and um, as an entry weapon. And I was thinking, man, yep. this would be great.
1: Yeah. And, you know, in the uh, FBI still was running the uh, 10 millimeter MP5 at that point, um, you know, so eh, it'd be kind of interesting, uh, but, you know, just incidentally, you know, Tennessee Highway Patrol, they still carry 357 SIG as far as I know at this point. So, you know, we can make an argument for, you know, maybe it plows through glass better, maybe it plows through auto body better, but does it really do all that much more? I don't know that it does for the extra wear and tear you're putting on the guns, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I
0: know Texas DPS was carrying and I can't think think of yep. any others off the top of my head, but I'm sure there were others. Uh, I know there were two federal agencies that carried it.
1: Right. Um uh, yeah, the FBI and the or not FBI, the um oh just went blank, Secret Service and Air Marshals.
2: Yeah. So, and yeah, well there were others
0: because there was there was at least one other because I'm thinking of one that's not on that list. Uh, okay. rather small agency that probably wouldn't want me to talk about them on air. Oh, okay. um, they're not secret squirrels, but they just don't like yeah. profile uh, publicity. Yeah. Um, so let me get my phone open back up so I can see my notes. Um, let's talk about differences in performances. And, and I wanted to talk to you specifically about this in the topic because you're a guy who has shot at a very high level with the Glock 34 but you're also a champion with the Glock 26 or that size gun. We you shooting a 26 or 27? Yes. The,
1: yeah. 26.
0: 26. So if you want a state championship shooting at 26, but you've also won a turbo pin and an advanced rating at Rogers shooting at 34. Uh, so you're a guy that's going to be able to tell me specifically what the differences are, not just guess at something.
1: All right. Um, okay. So a little story on that in about 2000. Five maybe 2004 I think it was late 2004 um at that point I'm still carrying a 357 sig Glock 33 is my you know everyday carry gun um and then I am shooting matches with a Glock 34 so that means I've got to put in training time on both of those which they're not exactly the same they're similar but they're not the same I've got about different ammo for each one of them Um, And I read this article, in, I believe it was Gun World by Dwayne Thomas, talking about he had moved to carrying a Glock 34 as his everyday carry weapon. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I started looking around at inside the waistband holsters for that. I'm like, hey, I can make this work. And at that point, it pretty much went from uh, you know, that the, the 26, 27 truly went into backup gun status. Um, because if I can carry this bigger gun that I can shoot better, I mean, and it's not just I'm guessing I can shoot better, it's empirical data. Mm-hmm. I shoot it better, I shoot it faster. Um, it's a lot easier to get a grip on quickly and get the gun out of the holster. Um, if I can do this as my carry gun, then why not? Um, So I would argue that it's probably about a 20% difference as far as performance between the two. Um, And I'm sure there are probably going to be people that say, Oh, you really don't need that much performance to win a gunfight in the street. Well, that's fine. Little old ladies smoke people with J frames every day, but I'd rather not rely on luck as my strategy. Uh, I would really rather have the best performance that I can have. Uh, So, yeah, the uh, and, and I was looking at this before we got on the air. Um, if you look at the IDPA classifier, you've got about an eighteen point something or other uh, percent differences in what the like what the ranking for master is for uh, stock service pistol, which is what I shoot in you know most of the time in IDPA um, versus what it is for backup gun. And I was like, well, yeah, that pretty much bears out my uh, my experience with that. So. Uh, we're going to say it's about a 20% difference, 18 to 20.
0: Yeah, I've kind of given thought a few times to trying to develop a test that I could shoot empirically, determine, say, what the performance drop-off is or gain is between certain models of gun. And I'm sure you you could take any series of drills and run it and get some math for that. But uh, you mentioned earlier finding a gun that ran reliably with 10-round mags for when you go to certain parts of the United States now. Uh, I own a Glock 48 specifically to have a 10 round gun for when I'm going to travel. Um, And, you know, it's funny whenever anytime somebody sees the 48, they ask immediately, are you running the shield magazines for that? We're talking about the shield 15 round mags. That would defeat the entire purpose of why I bought this gun. Now, I understand people want to do that to get the smaller grip and still get the capacity of the 19. Here's why I come down on that. Uh, I have not done empirical testing. Uh, once I have time with the 48, I do know that when I bought the 48, uh, I took it to the range. I took it out of the box, put some lube on it, and I ran the Range Master handgun uh, core skills test with it. And I shot right at a 100 with it. With my mm-hmm. Glock 19, I shoot high 130s on that test. All
2: right.
0: Now, having spent more time with the 48, I could probably do better than what i did that
1: day i think part of it's probably hand size yeah. um what we find is guys that are used to a double stack grip or just you know guys with bigger hands uh-huh. seem to have a little bit of a i don't want to call it a problem with yeah. um but they seem to have a little bit of um i don't know a little drop off there with the those thinner gripped guns like the 43x i've got a 43x i, I, I like the gun um i don't shoot it as well as i shoot to 34 but you know it's it serves a purpose and that purpose is i'm going somewhere that i can only have 10 round mags so yeah
0: uh the the grip being significantly thinner tends to throw off my grip and i can't get my support mm-hmm. hand locked in on a uh, one difference between now and the day that i shot that initial test with it was i didn't have grip tape on the gun and now i have a talent grip on it so i okay. think i would be able to lock in with the support hand better and I feel like the 43X probably balances a little better than the 48 does. Hmm. I went with the 48 because it gives me the same sight picture that I get with a 19. Right. I'm looking at the same link side. I got the same sights on them. And I wanted to be as similar as I could. And, uh, you know, to the 19, which has been my primary carry gun for, oh gosh, 20 something years now. Well, since, right. since 2004, so 18 years.
2: Right. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, specifically on that 10-round mag, just to, you know, as somebody says, circle back, uh, just to circle back to that for a second, uh, yes, Glock makes 10-round magazines for 19s and 17s. They just do not seem to be quite as reliable as the full-size or the standard capacity magazines do. Um, Interestingly enough, I have a friend who is a retired Tennessee highway, Highway Patrol officer and he was going on a trip to New York, which, you know, he can carry under the Leosa uh, thing, but he didn't have any 10-round magazines for it. So he you know, called me up at my day job and said, hey, I need some 10-round mags. I was like, what in the world do you need that for? He's like, I'm going to New York. I was like, oh, bless you, sir. I'll get you some magazines. Uh, so again, that's a real thing for those of us that live in free America. If we have to go somewhere that's not, we
0: have to kind of change our equipment around a little bit. Yeah, I was in New Hampshire. Uh, with a mutual friend uh, for a class. Um, Mm. And we were going from one town in New Hampshire to another town in New Hampshire. I did not realize that the US Highway that we got on was going to dip into Massachusetts.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: And it would dip down into Massachusetts and the Google phone that, you know, I was using Google Maps. And every time we go curve to the left, Google would say, welcome to Massachusetts. And every time we curve back to the right, it'd be welcome to New Hampshire.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's like, every time we curved to the left, I was a fellow. Every time we curved mm-hmm. back to the right, I was okay. And uh, all of a sudden the mutual friend starts uh, making very adamant statements about not wanting to be in Massachusetts. And I'm like, is he mm-hmm. cussing at me or at my phone? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. And uh, if you haven't guessed everyone, that was Tom and, uh And so... That's one time where I'm standing on one side of the line and I'm fine. I stand on the other side of the line. Oh, no. It was a completely unintentional. All
2: right.
0: um, and then I was in Illinois. And I did not take into the fact that counties in Illinois are apparently significantly larger than counties in Georgia. And I crossed into Cook County. And while Illinois does not have a magazine capacity limit, Cook County does. Cook County does. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. And yep. yeah, so that's why I went out and bought the 48. I actually got mine the day before they were released to the market. And um, and specifically, when I start traveling, if I'm leaving the Southeast, I'm probably carrying the 48. All right. Just for that yep, area. Ahead. Makes sense. Yeah. Because you never know when you get on the airplane. Right. You don't know if it's going to get diverted
1: right yeah um mutual friend of ours had that recently
0: so yeah i don't know how much we're going to talk about that yeah but you you say like i was flying into manchester new hampshire that's 30 minutes from boston Mm. what if the plane yeah it got diverted from manchester to boston right well oops
2: yeah yep I didn't mean to do that. I've
0: heard of people getting in trouble for that in New York. They were fine where they were usually going, but right. then all of a sudden they find themselves in, in LaGuardia and they're accidental felons. Right. That, that's just wrong. This is the United States. We, we shouldn't be dealing with that kind of thing. Um, so, what specific techniques do you see that you have to employ running the small gun compared to the big guns?
1: Um, the biggest, well, the two biggest differences, I would say, um, one is on the reloads, uh, what I call having tea with the queen, uh, you got to get your pinky off the gun so that you can get the other mat again, uh, without it hanging up on your, on your hand. And again, you know, I don't have the biggest hands in the world. Uh, you know, I've got some guys in class that I'm just like, wow, you know, this guy can probably, I don't know, pick up a, i can pick up a basketball off the floor palm it you know this guy can probably pick up a basketball and a half and seeing those you know he's he's running a 19 it looks like it's a you know like it's a 26 uh, i don't know how those guys get those get the mag in the gun um it's just it's that's the the problematic area for me is getting the mag in the gun. Um, So I've got to kind of change my technique up a little bit with that. Um, The other thing is just obviously you've got a smaller sight radius or, you know, shorter sight radius. So now any little bit that your that your alignment is off, it's going to be magnified even more than it would be if you had a longer sight radius gun. So, and that was another thing with the Glock 34, you know, I've got the longest, well, not, I could have gotten a 17L, but, you know, be reasonable. I've got the longest sight radius, basically got a 1911 sight radius. Um, and, you know, I just shoot the gun with more precision uh, Then you know, we can argue, well, shorter barrels may be more accurate because they're stiffer, um, but we can't really argue that longer sight radius gives you more precision with it. You can see every little, any little bit that you're off in the rear sight, you can see that uh, a lot better with a longer barrel than you can with a shorter barrel. So I may not realize that I'm a sixteenth of an inch off with the shorter gun, but that 20 yard target's going to tell me, yeah, I was off a little bit. So, so you got to slow down just a bit with the smaller gun to, especially on the, on the longer shots.
0: Yeah. Speaking of the magazine uh, exchange, one, we could argue that's a, match thing not really a string mm, thing yeah, um, yeah. but what about clearing malfunctions you run into the same problem
1: you've got a smaller handle to to grip onto there with the slide yes
0: or um, if, if you've got the big meaty hand that's covering up the bottom of the magazine how do you tap the base plate I know what right. Chuck Hagger's technique is but I'd like to see if, if you've got some before
1: um, uh, basically it's the same thing now that's why I carry a glock so I don't have any malfunctions just kidding <laughs> um, <laughs> somebody's gonna you're gonna get hate mail for that i'm sure that'd be all right uh no, basically it's just get the pinky off and you know smack the mag so what, what does chuck do uh,
0: put the slide in the support hand grasp mm. the slide release the strong hand and smack the bottom of the mag okay. with the strong hand and then get back on the gun with the strong hand and run it's going to take more time but it's probably yep. a more sure sure technique
2: right
1: so all right. and you know we can argue for for street purposes odds overwhelming. You're not going to use more than the 10 rounds in your gun anyways. So, yeah. and if you keep, if you use decent ammo with good magazines, you know, not the ones that you've been dropping on pavement for the last 10 years, uh, but you know, your actual carry mags that are treated a little, little nicer um, and keep the gun relatively clean. You're probably not going to have any, ma- and, and you grip the gun with enough grip to, you know, not allow it to malfunction. You're probably not going to have any malfunctions with your gun. Um, so that's, that's just where I come down on that.
0: Do you see more malfunctions with the smaller gun?
1: Um, yes. Um, and part of that, uh, I think maybe because people's hands, you know, especially their support hand, they're maybe putting a little too much pressure on the slide, uh, where they would be with a bigger gun. They might be putting that support hand thumb on the frame. Now they've got it riding on the slide and retarding its ability to come back and forth, um, the way it's supposed to. Um, plus just you know not everything is the most reliable when you start cutting inches off of it um you know i still argue that if you want a reliable 1911 get a five inch gun so as as they start getting shorter they start getting less reliable and you know that's been my experience watching this stuff for the last 30 years so
0: now i noticed in watching the videos from your state match championship you shot at a much more moderate pace than I've seen you run Mm. in other events.
1: Right. Um, Part of that's match strategy on that, because for anybody that's not familiar with backup gun and IDPA, you're limited to six rounds total. That's not six plus one, that's six total. So you're basically shooting the revolver division with a smaller gun. Um, And if you, uh, you know, what's one of the things that adds time to your match time? reloads. So if you have to go to another reload, um, then, you know, because you're shooting with sloppy or, you know, whatever, um, then that's going to add a bare minimum of the time that it takes you reload plus the extra shots. Well, that can be pretty disastrous to your score. So I intentionally, my, my, uh, strategy for shooting that match was shoot at a pace that I can guarantee Um, as much as I can guarantee that I'm not going to be throwing up a bunch of minus threes, uh, keep it in the minus zero or the minus one, shoot at the pace so I can pretty well guarantee that and don't shoot any more rounds than I absolutely have to so that I don't have to go to that third reload. You can if you're shooting any of the other divisions except for revolver, obviously you can carry two. You can only carry two magazines, but those magazines have ten rounds piece. in them. Mm-hmm. So in backup gun, because you're limited to six, you can carry three magazines, but you don't want to have to go to that fourth one if you can at all keep from doing it. So that might explain why I was a little more. Uh, uh, what's the word we look for? Slow. Uh, with moderate. Than, than moderate. Slower than yeah, moderate. Yeah, okay. A little more
0: <laughs> moderate than what you're used to used to seeing so so going back to the idpa 5x5 classifier since there's no reloads in that or is your pace much more similar to what you would run with the full size gun um
1: to be honest with you i didn't have to i've been doing this long enough that um i had a master classification before that came out um and there actually is one reload in the 5x5 one yeah uh you get your so um but yeah, I, on that, yeah, I'd probably shoot that faster than what I was shooting the uh, the stages in the state match at. Right. You know, it's kind of like uh, like Gabe White talks about. You know, the there's a difference between what you do in practice uh, and what you do when there's actually something on the line. Um, and he says that you know it's like a twenty five percent slowdown that he sees sometimes in some of the drills simply because now it's now it's important and people are focusing intently on putting the bullets where they need to go well i would say yeah i kind of wanted to win that match so i was like yeah i'm Mm -hmm. gonna try real hard to keep them all right in the middle so
0: all right well you mentioned there's an 18 percent difference between say stock service pistol and backup gun on the Mm -hmm. five by five classifier uh do you know what the difference is on the traditional classifier
1: it's about the same, too. I mean, you, you look at the numbers on both of them, um, and it's it's 18 point something or other. So so it, it pretty well evens out. And, you know, IDPA actually uses, uh, you know, they take what the better shooters are shooting those classifier times in uh, and factor that in. They just bump them all down um, a little bit within the last year or so. Um, I think it was in 2020, maybe, where they moved all the, you know, whereas if it used to be, I'm just going to pull numbers out of the sky. May- maybe if like 20 seconds was master, now it's like 19.01 or something. So they're, you know, continually moving them down as right. as people start shooting them better.
0: Uh, just doing the math real quick, uh, it looks like a 16% difference between what I normally shoot with a 19 on the handgun core skills test and what okay. I shot with a 48 that day. Yep. so that's going to be basically in that range Yep. All right. so
2: yeah
0: you know, i guess that then brings up the question is if you're walking around with a small gun on the street you're doing so knowing that you're having giving up 18 percent of performance.
1: right and you know that's first of all hopefully everybody out there is trying intently not to get involved in any kind of altercations that they can at all avoid. Um, it's like my, my wife and I, when we first started going out, um, I basically had to have the talk with her and I said, you know, look, please don't get us into some kind of altercation (laughs) where I may have to kill somebody because you're upset about something. And she's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, because I'm going to be armed all the time. And, you know, we really need to avoid, you know, if if somebody insults you or whatever, and you can live with that, just let it go. Uh, Somebody cuts you off in traffic, let it go. You know, it's, there's a very small, uh, very small list of things that I'm willing to shoot somebody over. And a parking space is not one of them. So if we, if we pay attention to what's going on and, you know, you just kind of let stuff roll off your back, if at all possible, um, then you know, hopefully we're not getting into these situations to begin with, but if we do get into them, yes, you're starting out uh, at a bit of a disadvantage uh, from what you would be with the bigger gun. So it's just something to be, to be aware of. So
0: it's amazing how often the parking space comes down to being an issue that leads to a violent confrontation.
1: Uh, yeah, there was, there's been one with just in the last few days that saw the video on, uh, on the evil Facebook. Um, so it's, um, I I don't get it. So, but Uh, uh,
0: that's why one when I go to any kind of, you know, something like a box store or a mall type setting, I just go park somewhere where nobody else wants to park. Right. I'll just walk further. It's fine. Um, yeah you know, I tend to go to the furthest extremes on one side or the other of the parking lot and back a ways, And it lets me see the entire parking lot as I approach the store. It lets me be on right. one side. So people can typically only approach me from one direction. Hmm. As uh, you know, I, yeah, I am walking further. and it, it, It's not fun if it's cold or raining or something like that. But, right. uh, you know, I don't. Get but if you're worries. if you're
1: parked out there, yeah, if you're parked out there by yourself and somebody yeah. comes all the way out to you, yeah. I mean that's that's a pretty good early warning indicator there. Yep. Um so you know, it's um yeah, it's parking lot tactical one oh one there. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: we discussed, you know, the performance disadvantage to carrying the small gun. What, if any, are there advantages to carrying the small gun?
1: Well, the I would argue, you know, the obvious advantage is they're easier to conceal, no matter what size you are. Now, I'm not a small guy by any means. Um, I'm about six feet tall, um, north of 250. Um, so, I don't really have a problem concealing a bigger gun. Um, but when I was, you know, 170 pounds, uh, it was a whole lot easier to. Conceal a 26 than it was to conceal a 17, so something like that. Um, especially if you're wearing an outside the waistband holster, not everybody can make the inside the waistband holster work for them. I get it. Some people are, you know, more worried about their comfort than I am. Um, but you know, with the smaller gun, it's easier to to keep that hidden in an outside the waistband holster. Um, and you know, it's always the gun that you've got on you is much better than the better gun that may be at home and safe. So that would be, that would be what I would see as the advantage for it.
0: All right. Uh, our mutual friend, John Hearn, sent a question, but he has not yet followed up for our clarification of what his context was. And he wanted you to discuss dry practicing manipulations before doing live fire.
1: My guess is he may be talking about in class. Um, I'm a big, big, big proponent of doing, it. let me back this up. One of the worst things we can do is hand a loaded gun to people that are nervous about what they're about to be doing. Um, so I don't like being nervous, so I don't like nervous people holding loaded guns around me, um, because that makes me nervous. So generally in every class, we're going to do just about everything that we're going to do through the course of the class. As far as gun handling goes, we're going to do that drive before we fire round number one. Um, and you know, I've kind of joke about, you know, it's 11 AM on the first day of class. I'm like, are we going to get to shoot? You know, is this a shooting class? So, Mm -hmm. but by the time we go to lunch, we've covered everything we've covered, you know, side alignment, site picture, trigger press, follow through, uh, trigger resets, uh, magazine changes, you know, both emergency and, uh, proactive, uh, malfunction clearance. We've done all of that with empty guns or guns loaded with dummy rounds, And so by the time that we hit the range and we're doing everything live, we're not having to stop and teach you how to do it and unload your gun. And it's just basically, we're just doing what we just did this morning, but now the guns are louder. So
0: Uh, my shotgun class follows that same pattern in that we do everything before lunch that we're going to do after lunch is just before lunch, we do it with dummy rounds. Right. And then after lunch, we start with the live rounds. And you get twice the repetitions with half of the ammunition. Uh, exactly. Now I have somewhat of a captive audience when I train the jailers, so, <laughs> funny cop joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I do their initial training before they go to the Academy. And one of the things that I have started doing with them is they have to come to an orientation session with me. And we do things like load the gun, unload the gun, but all this is being done with dummy ammunition.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um you know, magazine changes with tap rack training devices in them. Um, They have to disassemble the gun and reassemble it. And everything we do that just to build a familiarity and we do it in a climate controlled setting where there's no loud noises going off. Um, There's a bathroom out there if they need to go. And it's just how to build that skill and that knowledge in an environment. Yeah. In a comfortable environment. Yep and you know i used to always think about you know high school football practice when they would try to make it as hard or as brutal on us as they could hmm. and then people start forgetting snap counts and stuff like that so you know what if we were practicing this in ideal conditions maybe we would learn this a little better all right and if you look well at it, stuff, it goes go ahead i
1: was just going to throw in you know it goes back to the you know and when we're learning skills when we're you know building those neural pathways, we need to do this about 25% speed. We don't need to roll out there. Again, this is my opinion. If you disagree, direct all the hate mail to uh, Lee. Um, but if first thing we do is we roll out and it's like, all right, everybody step up here and we're going to shoot this, you know, um, yeah, you know, make sure you've got a hundred rounds on you because you know we're gonna blow through this first drill. You know, and this is a basic class. I'm like, eh, I'm not sure this is the best way to start this out. So again, I I get nervous about nervous people with loaded guns. Uh, so I'd much rather have competent and confident people uh, start handling loaded guns after lunch than have nervous people handle them at 8:01 in the a.m. So
0: yeah, and you know it's just. The open enrollment market does not lead itself to having lots of contact time with the client. Yeah. Right. And that's when I think the failings of the market and you know, the big name traveling instructors, they can't do like a training club type thing right? because they, they can't come back to your city right. every, every Tuesday night. But for right. those that are training on the local market, that might be a way to go. Shorter classes and Carl Ren does this with his. This thing shorter classes, um, you know, that have a progression of you're going to get a certificate at the end of this progression.
2: Hmm.
0: So, you you come, you know, for the the next 10 sessions, then we'll give you the certificate for the class, uh, or something along those lines, where you're actually getting repeated contact with the student and being able to guide their progression of skills to a point of competence versus all right we made it through today let's all go home
1: yep um just a quick shout out to any of my uh, tennessee georgia alabama training group guys that might be listening in uh we've been running that for like the last i don't know we're probably coming in close to 10 years now and i've got a a core group of folks that show up you know pretty much every time and then i've got a few kind of sort of regulars that you know show up when they can uh and that's that's one way that i can kind of Um, I've got that extra attention that I can give to folks. Uh, You know, we'll just come in and like this, this week might be shooting on the move or like this week might be uh, you know, pocket pistols, you know, and in, in, in fact, I throw those out there on May 7th, for those of you in the Chattanooga area, uh, our next one's coming up, uh, we use a private range, about 35 minutes southwest of Chattanooga, uh, we're actually doing pocket pistols on May the 7th, and then for those of you in the kind of Knoxville or Oak Ridge area in Tennessee, uh, we're doing, shooting on the move at the Windrock, uh, shooting range up there right after the backup gun match that morning. So if anybody's interested, uh, check out the website, shoot me an email, come on out. We'll have a good time. Um, But you know, that way we can, you know, we do these things are like six hours and we normally charge like $80 for it. So it's, you know, it's affordable. It doesn't use up a whole lot of ammo. um, And it's a way to essentially stay in the game. You're not taking, you know, Hearn always talks about the guy who takes the one class shoots 3,000 rounds over the course of the week and then doesn't do anything with it for the next year. He's in worse shape than the guy who has taken three or four one day classes over the course of the year and has shot half as much ammo, but has done 10 times as much dry work. So,
2: Yeah.
0: I I saw your advertisement for your training group uh, last month and it was going to be the get off the X one. And I just, I wanted to get out of the house that weekend Everything's like, you know, that's not too long of a drive. I'll I'll ride up there for that. And just Mm -hmm. before I went to bed on Friday night, I looked at the weather and saw 38 degrees and raining. It's like, you know, four hours in the truck to go do four hours on the range and then four hours back when I'm soaking wet. I don't know. I don't think so. And when I got Uh up, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I'll give you a pass for that one. So it was, uh, it was pretty miserable there for a bit.
0: So. Yeah. Cause I got up on Saturday morning and I turned on my computer and opened up Facebook. The very first thing in the feed was Browstown bald. For those that aren't familiar, that's the highest point in Georgia, which is where I would have to driven right by to get to where you were, uh, was closing mm-hmm. down early because of snow. So snow yeah. in April in Georgia. I'm like, I made a wise choice.
1: We got a little bit of snow, a little bit of ice, and then a little bit of uh, snow that turned to rain. So it was uh, a it was a little unpleasant. So, yeah. but you know, it's you never know when something's going to happen, and you know, frankly, it's just one of those. Um, it, we say it builds character, but it also builds inner strength. So you're kind of like, well, I've done this before. I've done this in crappy conditions. I can do this. So,
0: if we could go back to the drop practice uh, thread for just a second. Yeah. What is your ratio of dry practice to live fire in your own training regimen?
1: I'd say 80, 20 on dry to live. So I, you know, I kind of joke around about, I may be the best shooter in the world who shoots as little live ammo as I do. <laughs> um, simply because you know people think oh you're an instructor you must shoot all the time no not really i demo drills you know i'll step up i'll show you know i'll demo this drill for you and then i'll watch you shoot a whole lot uh-huh. so that's that's really uh, how that works out so um what i can do every day i can do dry work every day it doesn't matter what the weather's doing uh back to the you know getting ready for gabe white's class um when i was I went to that in October, uh, at the end of October in 2018. And so, you know, the time had already changed. So by the time I was getting home from work, it's already dark outside. So for the month beforehand, I was not able to go to the range, uh, to practice any before that, but I had a pretty, you know, regimented dry fire, uh, regimen uh that i did every day and i was doing 15 minutes of dry fire three times a day uh just to get you know stay on task and, and be ready for that class um and you know it apparently worked out pretty
0: well for me so could you describe what you do in those sessions
1: uh no it's super secret and <laughs> you have to pay to get that info no i'm just kidding um getting ready specifically for that class i was just basically running through the the uh, the test uh set my timer uh set the timer with where i wanted it to be um you know which was a, a few percentage points faster than what the the turbo pin uh, times were and just ran that um, I again direct the hate mail to lee on this mm-hmm. uh, i've got a, a glock 17r the uh, trigger resetting one, so I use that for dry work. Uh, so, well, yeah, the, it's not exactly the same feel as the trigger in my Glock 34, but I can get multi-round dry fire with it without having to do the old stick a rubber band in the in the ejection port to to get my trigger to you know work more than once. So, those of you that may not be familiar with that little, little secret here on dry work, if you'll take a rubber band and fold it over, or if you just want to clip part of it off. Uh, open your ejection port, stick that in so that it won't close up all the way. And now your trigger will continue to move back and forth. Um, it won't actually click and, you know, let the firing pin go forward. Uh, you can do that and get multi-round dry fire trigger presses. So.
0: All right. And if I remember correctly, you were turbo pin winner number eight?
1: Yes. Yeah. John Hearn was seven and I was eight. So, Well, see,
0: that just means we have to say nice things about Hearn. So we weren't even going to discuss well.
1: that. <laughs> well okay this is your show so
0: (laughs) i I like to say nice things about john because it makes the mean things i say hurt him much more no there you go and uh oh young david cagle swung for the fences and like really came after john this week and it was just a beautiful thing to behold and it's just didn't know that that such a young guy could be full of so much venom
2: Uh, (laughs)
0: I'll,
1: i'll have to hear that one
0: so. uh i posted the link to this this past week's episode which john was on the show and he's like you know the make a wish foundation folks said you only had to have him on one time right
2: <laughs>
0: uh. <laughs> um how many times have you done rogers uh once okay you got the advance in that
1: So, in fact, I did the three day class. um, So I've only gotten four runs on the on the test. Mm -hmm. So now when I did it, um, you know, it was the whole, you know, Ronnie Dodd, uh, RIP brother. um, He was uh, doing a three day class right before they were getting ready for the full week, you know, the Mm -hmm. next week. And so Bill Rogers is there kind of puttering around. So I got to meet Bill, uh, I stayed in the lodge. Uh, Of course I stayed in the lodge when they had the air conditioning out. So it was 3000 degrees in there. Uh, And this was in August. So you're just kind of laying there boiling in your own sweat at night. Uh, So anyways, uh, good times, good times. Um, but so it was kind of the full experience, staying in the lodge and meeting Bill and everything. But it was just the three day class. Uh, so if you're uh, if you're out there and wanting to do the get the whole thing, probably want to do the five day. So, but the and three and day was well, when, when in April, yes in a moderate way. Well, if I ever go back, yeah. it's going to be like April or October.
0: Well, I so, went in April and we had to crop the heaters out uh, because it yeah. was below freezing each morning.
1: All right. Well, that that's probably better than eighty five degrees at six AM. So yeah. But yeah, William April had turned R I P brother. Yeah. Uh William April had turned me on to the three day class and he was like, you know, it's you're gonna get the same lecture that they get in the five day class, you get all the same drills, it's just not as many reps of it. Uh-huh. So I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. So
0: Now Ronnie was running that through his own company, right? Uh
1: yes. You're um it's Dodd and Associates was Ronnie's company, but this was while he was still the, uh, the chief uh, instructor at the, at the Rogers school. So, you know, my, my certificate has both the Rogers logo on it and the, the Dodd and Associates logo. So, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, the same test. You just run it four times instead of the, was it six times during the week? Something like that. So,
0: yep. So, yeah, now Ronnie had there at the end had gotten his own range set up at his own place yep. and was yep. completely under his own umbrella.
1: And, yes. Uh, um, he had had two lanes going and was getting ready to install a third one. So, but, uh, and, and, in fact he and I had just been talking about doing some, uh, we'd been taking my, uh, training group out there and we'd done two of them there and we were talking about, uh seeing where we could go with this, teaching a, you know, full blown class with, Mm -hmm. you know, him and I kind of tag teaming it. And um, so then, you know, what happened happened.
0: So, yeah. Uh, Ronnie was killed in an unfortunate accident for those that are unaware. Um, I kept trying to arrange a day to take all of our sheriff's office instructors up to his place and Mm -hmm. like just spend a staff day up there and never could get a day when all of us could go and it right. just kind of fell through the cracks, and then now it's it's not possible. But, yep.
1: uh, well, and that's, you know, one of those things with, if there's somebody you want to go train with, uh, th- this is directed to, you know, just the general public that might be listening. If somebody that you really want to go train with, try to make it happen, because nobody's getting any younger, and nobody's promised tomorrow. Uh, you know, when Ronnie and I were talking that morning, I you know, we certainly weren't expecting to for what yep. happened that day to happen later that day. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you just never know. So yeah. tell t- tell those you love that you love them and whoever you want to train with, try to make it happen.
0: Well, speaking of training with, tell the audience what you offer through your company.
1: Um. Well, let's see right now. Uh, the soonest thing coming up is this weekend again in, um, uh, Oliver Springs, Tennessee, the Oak Ridge area. Uh, I've got a red dot pistol class coming up that we're doing uh, Saturday and Sunday, and I've got the two training group events coming up on May 7th and May 14th. Um, as far as big picture what I offer, um, most of my classes, I have some classes that are what we would call technical classes, like surgical pistol skills, we don't spend a whole lot of time in that class talking about criminal assault paradigm. We talk about trigger control, side alignment, uh, all that stuff. Um, it will make you a better shooter. Uh, just like with the red dot class, it's not, not a whole lot of time spent talking about how to recognize you know, the cues of impending criminal assault. Um, it's making you a better shooter, but we do have classes that focus primarily on you know, recognizing crime as it's about to happen um, and then dealing with that. So um, there's a complete list of classes on the website. Um, yeah, I'll throw a word out to, to Tiffany who seems to do every website in the industry. It seems like uh, I've been a problem child with her because uh, the, uh, the technology is not my friend. And so I'm always battling with the website, uh, to try to get it to do what I want it to do. Uh, so my calendar is not exactly the most functional, um, uh, but you can always shoot me an email about stuff. That's, if you have a question about anything that's coming up and I'm hoping to get pretty much the rest of the year filled in by the end of May. Um, I've got some time off from work in May, so that's my full-time, uh, thing doing that, you know, on my off time is going to be trying to get the, uh, the website a little more user friendly. So.
0: Most of your classes are going to continue to be Chattanooga and Knoxville area.
1: Um, looking for hosts. So if anybody's looking to, to host somebody, i you know, I'm good with traveling. Um, you know, back in the day when I was teaching a lot on the, uh, for, you know, for Suarez I did one year where I did pretty much every, every state from Florida to Michigan. Um, so outside of the East coast. So it was like, you know, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, and Michigan. So, um, so I'm I'm willing to travel, but yeah, mostly, you know, for the last couple of years, obviously with the uh, pandemic and all, it's put kind of a crimp into, uh, the traveling stuff going on. Um, and then just I had a, some health issues, we'll say, um, mm-hmm. uh, back at the end of twenty nineteen that's um uh, you know, kind of put a crimp in things. So uh anyways.
0: It's it's funny when you're flat on your back in the hospital, you just can't get out and go work on the range, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they don't wanna they don't like you trying to do dry work in the ICU. So <laughs> I'm in the ICU. I'm the only person in there that's not on a ventilator, uh, and they're like, you know, for those who I don't know how deep I want to get into this. Uh, I had a had a uh, pulmonary embolism. Uh, we're pretty sure it was probably COVID before COVID was a thing because it was at the end of 2019, uh, and everybody in the ICU was in there for pretty much the same kind of stuff it was all upper respiratory and everybody's on a ventilator and like i'm like hey i gotta go to the bathroom can somebody you know let me go do you know And they're like no you need to use a bedpan I'm like no i'm I, that's not happening i'm going to the bathroom and they're like but, but, but we've got to wait till the physical therapy person gets here is like i don't need to do calisthenics i gotta it's go to the bathroom, bathroom. so they're they just weren't sure what to do with me because you know according to my my scans i should be either dead or dying and uh you know, I'm like, I need to get up. So yeah, anyways, so yeah, that was all kind of joyous fun. But so, and then, you know, just a long, long road back on that to uh, get back to, to, uh, to being normal or as, as normal as, you know, some of us are. So,
2: yeah.
0: yeah. I've had two bouts with the COVID and the first one mm-hmm. had no lasting effect whatsoever and yeah. really was quite mild. Uh, the second bout with COVID, physically was mild once i got past all the fatigue uh, mm. i had some uh I, my brain went to some crazy places mm. and that's all i'll say about that on, on air uh and yeah. it it took me a little while to get over that
1: yeah well we we know some other we have some other mutual friends or acquaintances at least um that have had kind of a rough time after having it so uh, you know the the, the long haul covid's a real a real thing.
2: Yep.
0: So. yeah I, I had insomnia for like six weeks mm. and i would get so tired that i could not stay awake that i, I but i would fall asleep in within an hour mm. i would wake up and be up all night
2: mm.
0: and it's just i had a battle to get back to normal yeah and I, well as normal as i can be
1: yeah but, uh, like i said it's normal some of it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um,
0: what would you like to talk about tonight that i have not asked you about
1: um, I don't know. I was kind of, this is your show, so steer it wherever you <laughs> want to steer it to.
0: Well, we've covered, you know, pretty much everything with the topic that we wanted to take. And actually, let's see, Hearn just responded back that he was asking about in-class methodology.
1: Okay. Well,
0: uh, um, you know, we've covered the topic pretty well. Um, I'd like to give you an opportunity to advertise, you know, we talked about your classes a little bit, but uh right. Why should people come train with Randy Harris? Uh,
1: Because I know lots of stuff. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Pretty much the, uh, actually, we were talking about this beforehand, Uh um, that a lot of guys out there that, you know, get their instructorship and hang up their uh, shingle and all, they may know one way to do things. Um, I pretty much spent, I would argue, one of the little graphic things that we have for class, like, you know, the little intro thing um, is you know, some like a picture of a magazine rack because, you know, I'm the kid who at, you know, 10, 11 years old, mom's shopping for groceries. I'm reading soldier of fortune and, you know, whatever the gun magazines are. And then uh, they've got a little uh, graphic thing there. I think it's a picture from roadhouse or something. Uh, I worked as a, as a a doorman in a bar in college for several years. Uh, So I've got some practical experience with, you know, not only calming people down, but, you know, the getting more, uh, antisocial if we have to. Um, and then we're, we're going to put in a, I always talk about, I'm, I'm kind of like Batman. I basically, uh, just like Bruce Wayne, I spend vast <laughs> amounts of my own personal fortune, which is actually quite tiny. Um, so basically everything I can to uh, go train with the, uh, the best people I can find out there to train with, uh, to get a broad knowledge base, uh, and contextual understanding of things, so that what I want to be able to do is nobody's going to ask me in class, "Hey, have you heard of this?" and me stand there with a with a dumbfounded stare and be like, "Uh, no, I've never heard of that." So I may not know everything about it, but I'm at least going to be somewhat knowledgeable about it and have a educated opinion about it. Uh, so that's that's what you get with me. Also, um, I have a verifiable training resume. Uh, a verifiable uh, history of shooting at a fairly high level technically. Um, So not only can I teach you how to shoot, I can teach you when to shoot, when not to shoot and hopefully how to keep from having to shoot. Um, That's the biggest thing. Uh, I got a text. I was actually teaching a class and got a text one day uh, from a student who said, your training saved my life last night, or at least a lengthy, or at least kept me from a lengthy hospital stay, and I was like, "Ooh, let me get back to you later on that." And so it turns out, I'm not going to use any names or anything. Uh, but he—he's uh, a contractor, not a you know shooting people and blowing stuff up contractor, but a you know building restaurants and things like that. And uh, he gets a call from his uh, foreman. Uh, late at night and he's like hey you need to get down here because you know i'm not sure what's going on but the workers are all spooked um he's like okay that's weird so he says you know i put on my sweater put my pistol on jumped in the truck drove down there and there's this one guy who's like he says, I don't know if he was like trying to get protection money or something from the workers because he didn't speak the same language that they do. You know, the, 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 my, you know, my student didn't. And, uh, so he says, you know, I went up and kind of confronted him and the dude lunges at me. Um, and he said, and I didn't realize it at the time, but he, you know, when it happened, but he had a box cutter in his hand. And so he said, I did exactly what, you know, you showed us in class. It was just like one more rep in class. And he said, you know, so I've parried the the blow we separated i pulled the pistol out and said i will shoot you if you don't drop that and so he did but somehow miraculously by the time the cops got there the box cutter had disappeared and you know this is one of those eh, we you know so they took the guy away he says he, did, he you know or, or ran him off um uh, he said um he said then i noticed this and he sent me a picture there's a big cut in his sweater and he said, if I'd seen this last night, that guy would have gone to jail. And right. he said, but, you know, I just want to tell you that it happened exactly the way you talk about it in class and the way that we did the drills. And I was like, well, the, you know, as Tom Givens says we don't just make this stuff up. Yeah. So um, anyways.
0: All right. Randy, it's always good to talk with you. Uh, well, before we go, okay. tell folks how they found you, your Web page, Facebook. All oh. that stuff.
1: Uh yeah, it's on a uh, on Facebook you can get you know just my personal page as uh, Randy Harris. Uh and then the business page is Harris Combative uh strategies and then the website is just harriscombative.com. So, um you and I need to talk about at some point that's one other thing we could talk about real quick uh-huh. uh Lee and I've actually done a tag team class together Um uh, actually the first time we met was at the uh Rangemaster tactical conference and what mm-hmm. was that like 2018 I think
0: yeah uh, one of the ones at Darcy
1: so yeah so, so if you want to talk about that for a second
0: uh yeah yeah that's where we met uh, I'd heard your name before but I'd never met you in person and um uh we were in need of safety officers for that class and so well, i'm not doing anything this hour i'll I'll go over and help and so i got to stand on the range and see you teach there at that point i liked what i saw and uh wasn't michael swisher yes that yeah mike swisher was there yeah hey mike how you doing and yeah. uh mike always watches the youtube episodes so wave to mike i'll see you see you wave and, hey mike uh, uh, we'll give him his shout out there um and, and from there, we kind of kept in touch. And that's when we did the tag team class at the, was that the Ridge?
1: Yep. The Ridge in uh, Dayton, Tennessee. Yeah, just uh, Chattanooga. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that, we, you know, we did, uh, Lee did a it was like four or three and a half, four hour lecture on stand your ground, which for those of you who are not familiar, you might think, well, that's just specific to standing ground. No, it's, it's a, there's a lot of material in there. Um, and I still, to this day, uh, can't believe that people think they can shoot people because somebody roughed up their dog. So people have this hard time with, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the family. No dude, it's property. <laughs> So again, send the yeah. hate mail to Lee, not to me on the dog being property. So.
2: You
0: notice that whenever that slide comes up, I know where it's at in the PowerPoint. I always move to an escape route before I put mm-hmm. that slide yeah. up on the on the thing. Uh, I got, yeah. I was teaching that class to a just gun store audience at a large gun store in Metro Atlanta and completely lost control of the class when I put mm-hmm. that slide up there. I and mean, it got hostile. Mm-hmm. And... Like three sides later, they're trying to go back and argue, but it's my dog. And and, um, so I I never put that slide up there anymore unless I am somewhere where I can leave the room if I have to. And unfortunately, folks, uh, while I think more of my dog than I do most people, the dog is property under the law.
2: Yep. So,
1: but yeah, back, back with the, uh, with the class, you know, Lee did his lecture and then I did an, an abbreviated version of uh, what I call my pests lecture. Um, and then we went out to the range and basically worked all the skills that, uh, would go along with that on the, on the range. And, uh, a good time was had by all. So. Yeah.
0: And, uh, you and so, Hern recently did a tag team, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Uh, we did. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what we called that. Everything you need to know, uh, or defending your life with a pistol, everything you need to know and nothing you don't, uh, something like that. So John did, uh, a masterful job of cramming his eight hour lecture. We basically did a one and a half day long class. Uh, we did a Friday evening and then a really long day on Saturday, uh, that started about 9am and ended up about 11pm, uh, because we did, uh, You know, his full eight hour lecture. Uh, I had four hours in the morning on the range with the folks. And then we came back and did uh, low light uh, that evening. Uh, So it was a long day, but, you know, got a lot of got a lot of good work done so that's that's another class that i offer I offer a low light class and it's not your typical you know we're gonna go clear this house or whatever because that's just not what most civilians are going to be doing right. it's it's based around you know somebody approaching you out in public so you're either going to have the flashlight in hand when it starts or you're not you're probably not going to quick draw both your flashlight and your gun at the same time uh so it, you can also both be, at the
0: same time would likely lead to problems
1: yes so um <laughs> You uh, you know, can use your handheld flashlight, uh, you know, largely as a uh, pest deterrent uh, to a large degree. So you can also use it as an impact weapon. We cover that. Uh, it's pretty much a full spectrum. You know, anything from shine light at them and talking to them to you know smashing them in the beak with a hammer fist helper, which is what I call the flashlight in your mm-hmm. in your hand, uh, to accessing your pistol and you know getting to work with it. So.
0: Yeah, well, Randy, it is always good to talk with you, and I appreciate your insight on uh, on the topic tonight and the other stuff we discussed. So, any parting shot?
1: Um, I don't know, Hearn. I don't know. I would not say something to Hearn, but I don't want to start a battle here. So there seems to anyway. be a theme. Yeah. yeah so anyways <laughs> love you brother so uh yeah no that's uh you know anytime you want to have me back i'll you know be glad to talk a little bit with you so all right
0: well thank you for coming on tonight and again it's always fun to chat with you uh to the audience uh, the numbers of the show are continuing to grow and for for the most part you're following the rule of only sharing the link to the show with your smart friends Um, so keep that in mind. If you're going to share the link with people, you you must verify their intelligence before you do so. And, um, yeah,
2: we know that your time is your most important asset and thank you for choosing to spend it with us.